Hello, and welcome to episode 208 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik, here as always with... Jason Rabinowitz, and good to be back with you, Ian, in a, a mental state where I am not 40 seconds off a jet lag nap. I'm here. I'm fully engaged. I've even read the show notes. I'm ready to go. Do you even remember recording last week's episode? I don't. <laughs> I, I really don't. When I say it was seconds after waking up from a nap, I, I do actually mean it was seconds after waking up from a nap. We should have put that audio of you of you coming into the recording space because I, I think that would have been enjoyable. I'm sure it was a great episode anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it yep, was. Yep. But you're back. You've had more than a few minutes after a Trans-Pacific flight. Now we're ready to dive in. Yeah. Took a week to knock off that jet lag, but I did it and I'm back to normal. I'm proud of you. Thank you. So we begin the show with the United States Federal Aviation Administration. There's a lot going on here. We'll start with the most obvious news in which today the FAA released a SAFO which is a safety alert for operators. Basically, a memo that the FAA sends out to to aircraft operators. It depends on what the what the particular memo is about, depending on who gets it. But this one went to pretty much everyone who is operating an aircraft in some sort of commercial capacity in the US. And it's a two-page memo. The long and the short of it is pilots, please fly better. That's a good ask, I guess. In a more succinct way, the actual text of the safety alert reads, background, in recent months, a number of notable and high visibility events have occurred in the national airspace system. While the overall numbers do not reflect an increase in incidents and occurrences, the potential severity of these events is concerning. Six Serious runway incursions have occurred since January 2023, including an incident at JFK in New York involving a taxiing aircraft, blah, blah, blah. We know what happened there. There's also Austin. Basically, they're saying the number of incidents has not gone up, but there are a whole lot more eyeballs on what's going on now because the number may not have gone up, but the severity of the potential incidents and accidents seemingly has gone up. This tells me two things. It tells me, one, the FAA listens to the podcast because this is exactly what we said in last week's episode that Jason doesn't remember. But it was said by me and agreed to by Jason. If you say so. I, I, I do say so. If only there were some sort of record of what we said available, perhaps to the public somewhere. We'll never know. <laughs> so first of all, this is exactly what we said. So I, I can only assume that folks from the FAA are listening to the podcast. But two, this was a much less succinct way to put this than what I said earlier. So I object to you describing this memo as more succinct than what I said. Let's say more official then. Yeah, okay, it's definitely fine. not more succinct. That was definitely a, a lot of words. <laughs> that was the wrong yeah. word. But let's get into some of the there are bullet recommended points. actions. There are bullet points. There are always bullet points. So the FAA is is requesting and recommending that all of the people involved in the safety of aviation, from the pilots to folks working in operations, training, safety, et cetera, et cetera, 
Use all available internal communications processes to specifically highlight recent events and existing issues. Reinforce adherence to published processes and procedures, including checklists, air traffic control instructions, and internal company procedures. Ensure pilots and flight attendants have the same understanding of what sterile flight deck means and the risks associated with extraneous communication during this time. That's an interesting one because I haven't seen a ton of reporting that breaches of sterile flight deck procedures have contributed to some of these safety I guess it can't hurt to mention it. I guess it's just interesting to me that they chose to call that out specifically. So that one piqued my interest a little bit. And then the rest of them are are basically, there are safety resources that the FAA puts out. Make sure that your crews are working together using crew resource management to identify you know things and remove distractions and then if you see something basically if you see something or something happens say something use the voluntary reporting systems Ooh, that careful that's are- a trademark of the MTA if you see something say something <laughs> I, we can't have the FAA co-opting that unless they pay no no so there's nothing new here this is just a reminder it's a hey make sure you pay attention to this so that came out Pilots fly better, I guess. Safety system folks, safety better. Check airmen, check better. Directors of training, train better. I mean, I I, I don't see – this all seems like the FAA – I'm not against this coming out, but there's nothing groundbreaking here. There's nothing new here. There's nothing saying this is what we're doing to ensure that these things happen. I guess there's not much to say. I mean, what else are you going to say in this – particular set of circumstances. Most of these have been confusion about commands given by air traffic control to pilots and or pilots have not followed the information or they've made a wrong turn. I don't really know what you say to counter these events. They're, they are basically just, hey, listen carefully, pay attention, turn the right way. I don't, I don't see what else there is for the FAA to say other than what they have said here. That is a very fair point. On the same day, the FAA also released or pre-published, so this will be published officially in the next few days in the Federal Register, but so this is today coming out, the kind of pre-publication before the, the official publication in the Federal Register. The FAA, having told pilots to fly better, is also saying, we don't have enough air traffic controllers. So airlines, if you want to voluntarily give up 10% of your slots at New York airports and at DCA in Washington, between May 15th and September 15th, you are free to do so without penalty because we just don't have enough people to operate those flights in a manner that would not result in a ton of delays. Yeah, not great. Last year, I mean, I guess it is – it's not great, but it's better than 2021-2022 where, yeah, there there were significant cuts back in schedules, but we also saw a lot of slot squatting. And this is what the FAA is attempting to prevent from happening again. I guess it's a little late at this point because we're already in late March, so the summer season's kicking in. But basically what what they're trying to do here is to prevent airlines from having to keep their slots going by doing what's called slot squatting, which is essentially airlines running flights 
that don't make any sense to destinations that don't make any sense at times that don't make any sense to merely keep the slot from being returned to the FAA and potentially sold or divvied out to another airline. So we see things like uh, Delta operating LaGuardia to Dulles, which they already operate at a JFK, which ironically, I'm actually flying in a few days, but they're removing that from the schedule in a couple of weeks because it, it was slot squatting. We historically saw an astronomical amount of this from uh, US Airways and then American LaGuardia to Philly. It's like a four-minute flight. has no need to exist, but it operated as slot squatting. And I think there were a few from like JFK to Baltimore last year, but thankfully, the right thing is happening here where they'll be able to return temporarily 10% of the flights, but it is, it is not for the right reason. And the FAA goes on to state that while most of the country has been properly stocked up and staffed with flight controller or, or in-route controllers at the air traffic control centers around the country, N90, which is the New York Terminal Radar Approach Control Facility, I believe it's located on Long Island, uh, they are only operating at about 54% of its staffing target, which is terrible. And they say dedicated training initiatives have been successful in reducing most of the training backlog with the exception of N90. I would love to know more about why the FAA has had such a, a tough yeah, time staffing at 90 It's a particularly high stress facility, which it definitely is. It's, it's some of the most complicated and annoying airspace in the world. Do people not want to work at N90, be it because of that stress or maybe housing cost, cost of living here is very high. Maybe they just can't find people who are willing to, to work here. I don't know. But if I were at the FAA, I would definitely be asking those questions of why won't people work at N90 or why is it not properly staffed at all when it is literally the only facility that they can't get pro or at least to a level that you would call acceptable? And what I thought was really interesting is that they kind of laid all of this out very clearly. And I'm going to quibble with Jason here because he okay. said that other facilities have been well staffed. Not well staffed, but they're staffed to the point where they don't have to 90. command the cut. Sure, of sure. They're better than a 90. But the FAA says here that, that nationwide certified professional controller staffing averages 81%. I mean, that's better than 53. It's better. Yeah. Okay. In relative terms, it's better. That doesn't sound healthy to me. And we had a listener write in after we talked about some of the pilot issues in regards to what's happening in the US and worldwide with kind of incidents in the news lately. And they were like, well, what about air traffic control? You know, there's a lot going on post COVID that really impacted air traffic control. And I think the FAA's order here about New York and DC kind of lays that out broadly, kind of narrowly for, for New York, but also sprinkles in some information about nationwide stuff. And I feel like this is a, a great conversation to really start having. And I, I made a, an, you know, a, a quip on Twitter today where the problems that we talk about with pilot training and you know the FAA saying fly better and things like that, that doesn't involve an act of Congress. But truly improving the FAA's ability to hire, train, and retain certified controllers would certainly involve Congress. And so 
my hope for any resolution near term is very low. Though, if enough folks from Congress are impacted by these delays this summer, maybe we'll see movement. Yeah, they probably will be because the FAA is projecting that New York airports are going to see delays increase by 7% this coming summer, which last summer was already very Bad. No, no, Jason, read this closely. This I was actually just going to mention this right now. Oh, oh it's not. That's it, a much yes. bigger number. Oh, so I should read the, the rest of that the sentence. Number, <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> the number of operations is projected to increase by seven percent. A seven percent increase in the number of operations, oh, no. so takeoffs and landings, results in an overall delay increase of forty-five percent. That's not great. This document, by the way, it's only a few pages long, but it is just absolutely peppered with interesting information. I think it's only seven oh, yeah. and a half pages, but there's another sentence here. The FAA is progressing towards a solution to the N90 staffing issues. And Ian, do you think the staffing issues might be uh, you know, increasing training or increasing the amount of staffing or, or maybe offering more pay? I mean, no. the, the those seem not, like I mean, maybe yeah, those seem no. like good ideas. Let me continue the sentence. The FAA is progressing towards a solution to the N90 staffing issues based on moving the responsibility for Newark, New Jersey radar sector from N90 to the Philadelphia Tracon. Training for this sector move is slated to begin in September of this year and will take time to complete the cutover of the responsibilities to PHL. Accordingly, this will not re- not resolve the anticipated operational impacts of the summer 2023 schedule. Basically, that's saying we're going to make New York Philly's problem. And that's a strange Band-Aid. I mean, it seems like it's not a Band-Aid. It seems like it's- I get it. That's the cutover. I mean, New Yorkers love to make problems Philly's problems. There's nothing wrong with that. But does (laughs) Philly really have the the capacity to absorb all of Newark? I I guess so. But they will by next- Summer. This doesn't help for this summer because it's no. going to take, you know, a long time to cut over. But but that's really interesting, I guess. Admitting defeat at N ninety in New York and just ceding New Jersey to Philly. That's uh, I mean, I'm okay with that. If they could take Staten Island too, that'd also be acceptable. But I, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't want to get too far into the weeds on on East Coast geography. But this is a really interesting document that the FAA put together to- None of it's good. To explain why they're letting airlines waive 10% of their their slots for the summer in the, in the New York and DCA area. So, that'll be in the show notes if you want seven, uh, six and a half pages of very interesting reading that gets pretty far into the weeds on this kind of thing. That's the link to click. Third FAA story, and then we'll move on from there. Finally, 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 five years after the NTSB first asked for it, and I don't know how many years after it was easy to do because Europe has already mandated it, the FAA is launching a rulemaking process to extend the cockpit voice recorder time limit or or loop time from two hours to 25 hours. Quote, we are initiating rulemaking that will require cockpit voice recorders to capture 25 hours of information, the FAA said on March 16th. They're also establishing an aviation rulemaking committee to explore how to make greater use of the data gathered by the airplane and its systems, including expanded flight data monitoring. 
And they, of course, say, we welcome any tools or resources Congress wants to provide to help us do this expeditiously. So it's going to take money, a whole lot of money, and Congress better pony up. Yeah. I don't remember seeing a timeline for when this will go into effect or the the mechanisms of how this will work. Can existing voice recorders just be upgraded, I guess? Or is this a simple line of code change because the the, the available capacity is already there to record 25 hours? I don't know. This will be very interesting. And did, did you happen to see when this will take effect? Because I'd imagine it's probably still going to be years before this happens. I mean, it's proposed rulemaking. So it's got to go through the entire process. There's going to at least be a long comment period. So I guess the earliest this could go into into effect would be maybe next year, sometime next year would be my guess. But I, I would be surprised if it happens that quickly. Yeah. I wouldn't expect movement anywhere near that quickly. But this is good. This is one of those cases where you just can't help but shake your head and say, why hasn't this already happened? There is no downside to this. Any party that tells you two hours is fine, 25 hours is too much, or or there are bad things about this, tell them to shut up because they're wrong. There's just absolutely no legitimate acceptable argument against this. Hopefully, this gets implemented as fast as technically possible, which in this industry is never too fast, but better late than never. Yeah, I guess the best we can hope for. Speaking today, Boeing's chief financial officer defended Boeing's next decade timeframe for a new its introduction of a new aircraft. So, speaking at the Bank of America Securities Conference, Brian West went on the defensive saying this is going to happen next decade. Because, and this is a wonderful phrase that I think only Boeing could come up with, maybe somewhere in the depths of government, a step function changing level of efficiency. Oh, sure. Okay. What he means by that is 20 to 30% more efficient than the latest 737, basically. So take the 737 MAX and make it 20 to 30% more efficient. They're not going to build an airplane until they can do that. How are they going to do that? Well, I mean, this goes back to all of the things that Boeing is working on with with NASA and the trust-based wing design, things like that. So, I mean, there's there are things on the horizon. Double down on their questionable position. I mean, on the other hand, what else are they going to do? I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. Exactly. I think there's pretty solid consensus that not doing anything until there's some radical improvement, I would even say magical improvement in efficiency aircraft up to a third better than today, doing nothing until then is, I don't want to say they're ceding the entire space to Airbus, but that's kind of what it seems like. I just can't imagine that they're going to do nothing. If in 10 years from now, we're at 5% or 10%. Are they really going to follow through with this and do nothing? Just keep churning out the 7.3 Max forever? Maybe. Maybe. I hope not. I don't have an answer for that. I don't know. Okay. Well, that's where they're at and that's where we'll see if they stay. 
Let's have an update on the kind of big story that we talked about last week, or, or the most bizarre story that we talked about last week, which was the seizure of four Flare Airlines 737s, three 737-8 Max, and one 737-800. So last week, the story was really all about, they said, they said, between Flare and the leasing agents for the ownership of the the aircraft saying flair says we were you know a couple days late on a million dollars the leasing agents are saying you were very very late on many millions of dollars and the story gets kind of even stranger This is based on reporting from Dominic Gates in the Seattle Times, as well as some reporting from Eric Atkins in in the Globe and Mail. And they – so the lease payments are being – they're still up in the air about whether or not they were very far behind and how far behind they were and how much money they owed. But the business model of the ownership behind Flare, which is the 777 Partners group. 777 Partners is not 777 Partners because of of 777 Aircraft. It's an address that they used to have when they formed the group. So they're called 777 Partners. But the interesting thing here is that they can't step in too much because there's already a contentious issue of whether or not Flair, because Canadian airlines have to be Canadian owned, and there's a question about whether or not Flair is a Canadian airline because 777 Partners is not a Canadian organization. So they can only rescue Flair so much without basically taking Flair from a Canadian airline to a non-Canadian airline. So it's really interesting to see what's happening here and and how the 777 partners model is playing out. So it seems like this could spill over into a big leasing order between 777 partners, which has a few dozen max on order, and Boeing, which is trying to get these aircraft out the door. So what began as a, a very interesting and, and quirky kind of did they pay their bill on time is expanding into a, a business model and and multi-airline leasing arrangement issue. I had totally forgotten about that rule in Canada that airlines had to be at least, I think, majority owned by Canadian entities. That is an interesting quirk in this story that I had totally forgotten about. The whole thing just gets even more interesting because 777 partners made lease payments on multiple other aircraft that were in danger of being repossessed as well. Hmm. I'll have to keep our eyes on this one. They don't have many more aircraft to spare, so I think they need these four back as soon as they can, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be happening anytime soon. No. So all four of the aircraft have been taken off the Canadian registry. They are no longer registered in Canada. I haven't been able to find any re-registration for them yet. They haven't been re-regged in the US as of today, the 22nd of March. And the Irish registry comes out at the end of the month, which is where I might expect them to be given the leasing agent's location. 
and and how they have registered aircraft in the past. So it'll be interesting to see where these aircraft end up. Do they go back to flare? I mean, obviously, that would be the easiest thing for everybody because they're flare interior, flare exterior, they're already in Canada, but who knows what happens? Yeah, I don't think there are many other airlines out there that want the flare aircraft in that particular livery because they may be new aircraft, but they are they are not pretty looking airplanes. They're still, unique. They're I, unique. I still cannot get over that choice of livery. It's, it's just if you've never seen what a flare air fully painted aircraft looks like, I, I highly suggest you go look it up. We'll put a link to the show notes just so you don't have to to look too hard. Some interesting things as well. Let's go a little bit out of order, Jason. In the show notes, I apologize. The oh. seven eight seven deliveries have resumed all of the paperwork and certification issues that needed to be sorted out have been sorted out. So so that's great news for Boeing. Norse is making a change. So long thought to have been by Jason and I and perhaps anyone else paying attention, certainly not an incarnation of Norwegian 2.0, but not not that. They're making a change and kind of following the more Condor or, or Tui model and going going where the sun is next winter rather than keeping their consistent route network together. That's interesting. So they'll be taking yeah. their 787s to like Palma Mallorca or, or what's their plan? I haven't seen the, the route announcements yet or, or what specific routes they'll be They'll be plying in their long boats, as they call them, uh, or long ships. Sorry, but they're going to be they're going to be heading south for the winter. I hate to make a comparison to Norwegian. Go for it. As yep. we know, Norse is not Norwegian. Never no. was. Never I, will I, be. I just said that. Yeah, obviously, just, I'm reaffirming not. that it's not the same. <laughs> but remember, Norwegian back when Norwegian was a much larger airline, they they did things in the winter schedule like uh, they had all these subsidiaries. They, they, well, for like an hour, they opened up Norwegian Air Argentina. And when there was a lull in the winter, they moved some of these their 737s down to an Argentina subsidiary. They literally operated, I don't want to say literally because I'm slightly exaggerating here, but they operated maybe a dozen flights maybe. before they said, no, we're done. But then they also had a little operation out of JFK where I think there were a few 737-800s that operated from JFK to some of the French Caribbean islands because reasons they were allowed to do that. But it is not especially unique that Norse is going to take their aircraft and do something different in the winter low season. But Norse only has 787s. So I guess it's going to be very interesting to see where they put these 78s. It's not like they can toss a couple 7.3s to do something a little weird out in the US or Argentina. These are much larger aircraft which with much larger needs. But it is not that dissimilar from what Norwegian did in the winter low season. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. But remember, Norse is not Norwegian. <laughs> this is different. The airplanes are bigger. This is completely different. Yeah, so it remains to be seen where they're going to head next. So we we shall see. Air India Engineering is going to be privatized. So the the state owned current state owned MRO, which is huge and does a ton of work, 
was one of the big questions, and we talked about this earlier based on listeners' email. That was one of the big questions about what they were going to do, and it's official now. It will, in fact, be privatized. So that'll be interesting to see who picks that up. Is Tata going to bid on that as well, or is it going to be spun off to a separate company? There are a couple of very, very large MROs that might be looking to to get into that, given the recent very, very large orders for aircraft in India and the growing market. So that's definitely something to, to keep an eye on to see whether or not there's a proper bidding out for that business or not. Yeah, I can imagine Air India Engineering be snatched up by something like Lufthansa Technic very quickly. That just kind of makes sense to me. But we'll see nothing. As we know, with Air India, nothing is ever certain. So we'll just have to, to wait and see what the, the actual outcome is. But this just makes sense. Yeah, I, I think so. A couple route issues or not issues, announcements, I guess, that are worth discussing. Real quickly, Fly Dubai and United have filed for a code share. I don't think this is much of a surprise given the fact that Fly Dubai is basically Emirates regional airline and United and Emirates recently announced a co-chair. This just seems to to make sense given all of the changes between United and Emirates in, in the recent past. Lufthansa is bringing back its A380. We have confirmation that they will start to Boston on June 1st and then back to New York soon after. That's exciting. So we'll see what else they end up. And then JetBlue finally, 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 because they've been trying and complaining about not being able to, kind of sort of has slots at Amsterdam now. Yeah. For now. But it's that kind of situation where you get what you want, but you only got it because you complained loudly enough, but it turns out it's not really what you wanted. In their words, JetBlue has secured commercially, commercially questionable slots in Amsterdam. And these come from the demise again, of Flybe. The slots made sense for Flybe if they were operating to the UK. They're like a a 3.40 p.m. arrival or something like that. But basically, this would require JetBlue to leave New York at something like 2 a.m. arriving 3 p.m. and departing 4 and arriving back at New York at like midnight or something. Like They would be stupid flight times I'm sure people would book them if the price is right. There are other airlines that do this like, hey, Norse. We keep talking about Norse, but there are airlines that do this. I think SAS, their JFK flight to Copenhagen departs like midnight or something. People will book this, but just because JetBlue was awarded this temporary slot for the year doesn't mean it will actually operate these flights. Um, Hopefully, they can secure something better and break the Delta KLM duopoly from New York to Amsterdam. That would be exciting, but I, I wouldn't I'm not gonna hold my breath that JetBlue is actually going to operate anything that it would publicly call commercially questionable. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a great comment. They're like, we, we got this stuff, but it's uh we don't really want it anymore. You take it. Okay. And now comes the discussion. I saved it for for the very end because I don't really care. Emirates has a quote unquote new livery. I can't tell you how little I care about this. It's such a minor change. It's fine. Okay. Yeah. I do like the wing fence. They've painted the wing fence red. I like that. Neat. But we'll put a link in the show notes. Go go check it out. It's fine. Emirates' delivery has always just historically been inoffensive. It's fine. (laughs) And then another airline 
that does not yet exist that I really hope will soon exist because their livery, on the other hand, is really cool. Ah, I see what you did there. And the name of the airline is literally uh, really cool. This comes to us from the former CEO of Nook Air, apparently wants to spin up a new airline out of Bangkok. And it's one of those airline startups where you just look at and go, this is stupid because their plans announced are apparently Bangkok to London and Paris and China and Japan and South Korea and Australia. So pretty much everywhere with a fleet of 787s or maybe A350s. I don't know. They put out renderings of both, but they want to start really, really quickly, like later this year. And we just heard of this today and it's almost April. It's almost the summer. So th- this is the launch, the official launch. Sure. Why not? But they don't have airplanes. No, no. <laughs> they don't have orders with anyone. There are some renderings, but the renderings delivery is really cool as the name suggests. Yeah. They've, they've got nice kind of like pixel art tail fading off to the, the middle part of the fuselage. They've got the, I think he's where the aircraft is wearing shades. So that's cool. It kind of blends into the A350's raccoon yeah. eyes and he, it's wearing headphones. Not the yeah. first airplane to wear headphones. Southwest, back when it introduced some shenanigans with Beats, they had red headphones on one of the aircraft. But this is I like it. I think the name really cool is kind of stupid. It reminds me of June for some reason. But the livery is definitely one of the more unique, let's say, attempts at something that stands out in a long time. But I feel like if you had launched June as an Asian, either low cost or not full service airline, but somewhere in the middle, I feel like it may have been successful. Had it been kind of tailored culturally yeah. to the market. I didn't see getting to this today, but the problem with June is that it wasn't an airline. It was just a, a segment of Air France that operated to right. cities like right. Barcelona or St. Martin. And if you happen to be going to one of those cities, you happen to end up on a June aircraft. You didn't choose to fly June. June chose you. June chose you. What June was, what June really was, was marketing slapped over a labor dispute. That's, that, all, that, it that's really all it was. was. But in this case, it's it's a new startup, so they can actually do whatever they want, and people will only book this airline if they like the value proposition and the branding. If they're really cool. And if there's a rooftop bar. I don't know. Maybe there is. <laughs> well, they've got a few million in funding. They've announced that they're planning to begin operations by December with two aircraft. They they want to start with the Airbus wide bodies, so obviously A330s or A350s, most likely A350s. I don't know where they're going to come from because they want to lease them, so we'll see where that comes from. But if they do start up, I think it would be really cool to A, spot, but B, check them out because it sounds like they've got a very interesting model in mind. Yes, the typical model of Asian airline that flies anywhere for pennies on the dollar. What isn't there like to from a passenger perspective? There you go. And then before we go, Jason, we had a listener write in with a correction of sorts. Oh, that happens sometimes. It does happen. Last week, so you were flying Japan Airlines and you were pronouncing the acronym JAL as JAL. Uh-oh. Our listener from Japan wrote in and said it's JAL rhyming with pale. Oh. So now you know. All right. I mean, he could be lying and just making that up, but I'm going to say it forever now. I feel like the, the email was was sincere. 
All right. So if you have any corrections for us, or if there's something you want to hear us talk about on the podcast, or if you've got a complaint about, well, anything, send those to Jason's email. No, email podcast at fr24.com. We read every single email and I try and reply to as many as I possibly can. If you would be so kind as to go leave a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast, that is extremely helpful in having other people find the podcast as well so that we can continue doing this show and doing more of it. Thank you everyone so very much for listening. This has been episode 208 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with... Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.